Welcome to the Engage Church Duluth podcast, where together we are learning to love God and people better. You'll find links, notes, and insights that go along with this episode at the link in our podcast description and on our website at engagechurchduluth.com. We're so glad you're joining us today. All right. Well, good morning to you. I'm Pastor Josh. Want to welcome everybody. Engage online, Facebook. It's great to have you here this morning. Um, boy, what a nice, nice morning it is outside, huh? Yeah. So where are we going? That is what we are talking about. Um, that actually was something where my kids, every time we're in the car, before we even get a chance to leave the driveway or the parking lot, wherever we are, even if we've told them, it is the question, where are we going? And then if I say, you know, hey, we're going down to Super One, we're going to do a little bit of shopping, right when we get in the car as we're leaving the parking lot, where are we going? Like it just continues to be the question, where are we going? And that's really, we can relate with that question in our spiritual lives, really, is we all have the question of where are we going? We can ask that question in our local church, where are we going? And so this, uh, these next couple weeks, uh, last week, today, what we're really talking about is I wanted to do something where we have a discussion and we talk about where we're going as a local church, but then we also talk about where we're going as our spiritual lives are leading us. What's our next steps? How do we get there, right? What should we be doing? And really, more than just my kids kind of inspiring that, what really inspired me for this message was um, when you look in Acts 2, you see a time in history called Pentecost. And Pentecost was this, it was just this absolute wild time because what happened was Jesus, as he ascended into heaven, he told his, his disciples, his good friends, he said, I am going to be sending you somebody, the Holy Spirit. And at this, in this moment in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, it comes, it, it describes it as like fire landed on their head. I mean, it must have been wild, like what a hairdo, right? And they just get so filled with the Spirit, they get so excited at this point in time that they start speaking in other languages. They start talking in other people's languages. And the bystanders there, the people that saw them, were, were wondering what is going on with these people? Why are they talking in our language? They're Galileans and now they're speaking, you know, in Greek and Hebrew and all this kind of stuff. I'm not quite understanding. So it just, it just created this confusion. It must have been just an amazing, amazing, amazing scene. And it was so wild to these people standing there that they actually asked if, they, if the people speaking in other languages, the ones that were excited, filled with the Spirit, they said, these people must be drunk. <laughs> you know, like, they must be drunk. Something is going on with them. Like, that's how insane this scene was. And Peter stands up and says, listen, people, it is way too early. It's nine in the morning. It's way too early for us to be drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. And he starts to preach the good news. He starts to preach about Jesus and, and this man that died on a cross and, and we can have relationship with him and, and we crucified him and, and yet he died for our sins. He loves us and, and that we can repent and we can be baptized and we can be saved. And then it picks up right here in our story in Acts 2, 36 and 37. It says, this is Peter talking. It says, so let 
everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. I love those two words because Lord really just means boss. The boss of our life. He is our example. He's our standard. He's the one that we follow. The boss of our life. And then Messiah, now that's exciting because Messiah just means Savior. So he's our boss. He's our example. He's our guide. But he's also our Savior. He's our friend. I mean, that's just like a cool dynamic right there to use those two words. And here it says, as Peter at this Pentecost, as Peter was preaching, as he was, uh, as he was proclaiming Jesus, as he was filled with the Spirit, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? Where are we going? What's our next steps? How do we get there? Something changed them. Something compelled them. And now they wanted to know what should we do? And that is just a question that I think we all have. I think that, that many of us are wondering, what is our next step? How do we get to the next level? How do we take our faith to a next level? I want to talk a little bit about that today. See, Peter told them three things. He said that you need to repent, which means that you see and you recognize that you're a sinner, that you have sin. And when you recognize that particular sin, that you don't just kind of say, man, well, I feel bad about that. Hopefully I won't do that again. But that you actually turn from it, you look on it no more, and it is no longer a part of you. That is dead to you. That is what true repenting is. It's actually a turning from sin. A turning from sin. A lot of us struggle in this area of repentance, and we never get there because we kind of have this, <coughs> we kind of have this attitude of, we got our hand caught in the cookie jar in our sin, if you will. And we kind of feel bad for a moment, but then we keep turning back to it. We've never really repented of that sin. Repentance is true repentance as you turn and you look on it no more. It's easier in some areas than others. But then he says, you need to repent, but then you also need to draw close to God. You need to spend more time with God. Awesome. Then he says that you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin through Jesus Christ. That's amazing. And so we need to repent, hear that we're sinners, understand that we're sinners, understand that we are flawed, we're broken human beings in need of a boss, in need of a Lord in our life, in need of a Messiah, in need of a Savior. We have to recognize that first. That we're broken, that we need to repent, we need to hear that. Then we need to draw closer to God. We need to understand who God is and who we are intended to be and who he wants us to be. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. Today, I want to talk about how we can draw close to God through the Bible, through God's word. I, I want to just take us into a couple stories. It's definitely not everything I could say about the Bible because there is a lot of things to say about the Bible. But I want to take us into God's word. How can we draw close to God through his word? Because we are called. See, there is, there's many of us that would think we come on a Sunday morning and this may be where you're at and this is okay. There's little steps involved of your spiritual life. There's little, little progress that you make. 
And some of you are maybe just at a point where you just are, you're coming and you're hearing. And that is great. In fact, that is part of our discipleship process is that we want you here on a Sunday morning. We want you to be part of a Sunday morning experience like this. We want your kids to be involved in kids ministry upstairs. We want this for you. That's where you're going to hear about the forgiveness. That's where you're going to hear about truth. That's where you're going to hear about repenting, drawing close to God, and being baptized, right? That's where you're going to hear about this. But then there's going to be an aspect where you need to open up God's word for yourself. And you need to start to get to know what he has to say. That's another step in, in there. And then in growth, we want you to join a group and be a, part of, be a part of people, right? This is all just a continuization. So part of growing in your walk is to be able to get into God's word yourself and start to let it cultivate you, start to let it change your heart from the inside out. God's word is powerful, and I want to talk about that today. So first of all, you know, what is Scripture? What, is, what does the Bible say about Scripture? And in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you see this. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God. We'll come back to that. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, I just want to talk about this one part very briefly, that all scripture is inspired by God. Some translations would say that it is God breathed. But you have to understand or you have to make a decision about this word. Is this just a book of good ideas? Or is this the inspired word of God given to us from him? His word in our hands. Scripture says that it is the inspired word of God. It is written by men, fallible men, men that were broken, that could have been deceived, but through the power of the Holy Spirit in their life as they penned these books, God inspired what is in here. And it is all for the sake of us to understand our salvation to understand who God is, his character, and to understand who we were intended to be. We were intended to be holy, live in relationship with him, a holy God. When we, when we struggle, the reason that I say you need to make a decision on scripture is because everything that you believe from that point on, that totally makes a difference. If you believe that this is inspired by God, given to us through the Holy Spirit, the power of God, and this is, that, this is his word and that it's alive and it's real and it's life transformation and we can, we can use it to rebuke, we can, use it to, we can use it to teach, we can use it to show us our wrongdoings and how we can live rightly. If you believe that, then as you read it, it starts to change things about you, doesn't it? It becomes authority in your life. It becomes something that you look to not just when you're having a bad day, but you look at it to shape your life. You look at it to hear about who you're supposed to be, how you can defeat sin, what true repentance looks like, who our enemy is. But if we just look at this book as, as a good idea and pick and choose 
then I fear we come to a spot where we really are in our culture, in our Christian culture, is where there's a lot of really good ideas out there, but there's not really a whole lot of sold out, submitted for Jesus life. And we don't see a lot of impact for the kingdom in that way, in that idea. We see a lot of people with bumper stickers, possibly, that say, go Jesus, maybe a tattoo. I've always been wimpy on needles, otherwise I'd have like the big sleeves. You know, maybe a tattoo that says, go team Jesus. But we don't see a lot of people suffering for the gospel. We don't see a lot of people sacrificing their resources for the sake of one person that maybe needs a meal today. We have to decide, is this the inspired word of God? I can tell you that we believe scripture to be true and we believe that. We believe that this is the authority of God, that if we want to draw close to God, we draw into this and we will. It will take us places. I understand not everybody in here is a scholar. I understand not everybody in here can interpret scripture um, the way that some others can. But I promise as you open this book up, it comes alive, it becomes real in your life. It will change you. And it is a vital, important step in your spiritual walk. You cannot miss. It's the word of God. I hope I came across like that that's an important thing there. So that's what we're getting at. <clears throat> the second part of this is it says that God uses, God uses scripture, God uses the Bible to prepare and equip his people for every good work. And prepare means to get ready, right? I mean, we all know what prepare means. It means to get ready for something. And Jesus told us, in this life, we will have trouble. He just, that's a promise from Jesus. Yay, Jesus, thank you for that. He promises this life is not going to be fun. So I want to give you something that will prepare you for the hard times. I, I want to give you something that will prepare you for the good times. I want you to be prepared and be ready for something because something is always coming. I had somebody tell me the most encouraging and not encouraging thing all at the same time. They said, you're either going into a storm, you're coming out of a storm, right? Or you're about ready to go, or, or you're in a storm. So you're either going into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. Like, that's the way life is, right? And that's just true. That's just true. I mean, we could, we, you know, I'm a happy person and all, but that's just reality. And so I love to know that God gave me something that helps prepare me for that kind of life that I know is just real. That's just what's going to happen. God uses the Bible to prepare us, to handle the tough boss so that we can learn patience. Patience is not a fun one to learn, but there's a lot of good things in there that can help us through that, inspire us into that. He uses the Bible to prepare us to endure in those marriages that are barely hanging on, barely hanging on. But somehow we go another day, we take another step, and we draw a little bit closer. He uses the Bible to give us strength in our parenting when we have no clue what to do. Nobody told me in parenting that I would never have any idea how to parent. They just said, you know, they gave me all these like little tips, but they never said, oh, by the way, you're always in over your head. You never really know what you're doing, but, you know, give it your best shot. That's the best parenting advice you can ever get. Sorry for the ones that are getting ready to have kids, but it's true. You never know what you're doing. It's just join the club. It's, it's rough. 
But God's word gives us strength in those. He brings us hope into our finances. I mean, finances are just such a downer sometimes. He brings hope into this. He uses the Bible to show us where, where sin is at in our lives so that we can turn from it. We can live free. Understand that this is not a book of rules and do's and don'ts, but our sin keeps us in bondage, literally like chained. Chained in bondage. And this is how we can be set free from that. That's what repentance is. It's not to hurt us or harm us. It's to bring us into freedom and more Christ-likeness. God's word encourages us when we're down and builds us up even more when we're up. I mean, it is just an incredible, powerful book that we need to get into. The Bible says to seek first the kingdom and all else will be given. Seek first the kingdom and all else will be given. And the first thought that I want to leave you with, or one of the thoughts, I shouldn't say the first thought, but the Bible should be our first response, not our last resort. Okay, the Bible should be our first response. I mean, some of us in here are like mega prayer warriors and things like that. That's great. But when, I, when people talk to me and they're like, how do you hear God's voice? Like, how do you, I, I don't know, I've just, I've prayed and I've prayed that he would talk to me. Well, I will tell you, you will start hearing God's voice very, very clearly when you understand his language. You read this. When you understand how God talks and how he speaks, you can hear his voice. I can recognize my voice, my wife's voice among hundreds of people because I've spent lots of time with her. I know how she talks. I know what it sounds like, and I can hear her in a crowded room. I might not be able to make out everybody's voice in here because I don't know you that well. I haven't spent time with you. You want to hear God's voice, start to understand what it sounds like. He'll speak to you. He wants to. He's right there. And so Bible, uh, the Bible needs to be our first response, not our last resort. And there's, um, there's this picture uh, in, in Luke 10. You can read all about it. It's actually like very short. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But Jesus and his closest friends get invited to um, this lady Martha's house, and Mary is her roommate, right? They're sisters. And Martha and Mary, they, they invite them in. And right away, Mary recognizes, this is Jesus in my house. Nothing else matters. I am literally going to go down and sit at his feet, and I just want to hear what he has to say. Jesus is in my house. She recognizes this. So she sits down at his feet, and she just gets taught by Jesus. And Martha is running around literally like a chicken with her head cut off, and she's all concerned about this big meal that she's preparing, right? The, the, the cranberries got to be there and the baked potatoes and the turkey and like whatever. I don't know what meal I'm making up in my head. But, you know, like she's like worrying about all this stuff. And she comes up to Jesus and she says this to him. She says, do you think it's right, Jesus, that Mary's just like kind of chilling down here on the floor? I'm running around getting this all ready. Can you make her get up and come help me? This is what she says. And Jesus, of course, in his way and his wisdom, says this in Luke 10, 41 and 42. says, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Check this out. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. 
Mary had discovered it. There's only, you're concerned about all this meal. I'm Jesus. I am in your house right now. There's only one thing that you should be worried about. Mary's figured it out, and I'm not going to make her leave that. I'm going to let her stay in my presence. And I see this in the church. I see this with believers, is that we run around and we make things about what it's not. Right? Like, we've, we've seen this as, as believers. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, boy, we can get in the arguments over the dumbest things. I mean, you want to talk about coffee, you know, at church, we can get into some arguments over that. Right? You want to talk about, like, certain instruments on the stage, boy, at churches, we can sure get in arguments about that. We get distracted by the details. But even in our own lives, we get distracted by the details of a work day. Right? And I understand, we're busy. We're busy, man. There's a lot of things going on. We get distracted by, by sports. We get distracted by things on TV. We get distracted by our marriages even. We get distracted by our finances. And we start putting in our own energy, our own energy. How are we going to fix this? How are we going to fix this? And Jesus is just saying, whoa, you're concerned about all these details. I just want to spend time with you. I actually have the answers. I, I, I have the peace you're looking for. I have the joy you're looking for. I want to impart that to you. I want to talk to you. But you need to be at my feet. You know, what would happen if we all became like Mary and Scripture was our first resort? Right? Our first response, not our last resort. What would the church look like? What would this neighborhood look like? How could that impact our city? I mean, if we would just make this our first response. But all too often, isn't it so easy to make it our last resort? We'll pull this off the shelf because we're already so deep in that valley. We're already so deep in sin that we just need one little bit of encouragement. We we blow the dust off this thing, we open it up, and we feel good for a moment. And then we wonder why on a day-to-day basis we're not hearing from the Lord. We wonder why our prayer life just kind of like goes away and is non-existent. We wonder why we've been treating our spouses a little bit short when we could be humbly loving them and serving them. We wonder why relationships around us are tattered. It's because we're not at the feet of Jesus. We need to be in this word. Mary understood that. Mary made the scripture her first response, not her last resort. And Jesus says clearly, that should be your concern. It's my word. Another thing... Another thing is that the Bible is our lifeline in temptation. I don't know about you guys, but, but when I'm really being tempted about something, right, you can't be tempted to do something that you don't have a desire to do. So it's already in you to be tempted. And that is a, a battle I can't stand. I don't like temptation because I got some desires in me, right? And it just, it pulls at me. And it, and it can really get you off. But, but the Bible is actually your lifeline. 
your lifeline in temptation. And I'm going to read through this whole story, and then we're just going to come back and talk a little bit about that here in, in a moment. But this is in uh, Matthew 4, and I will read until I stop. So buckle up. This could be a while. No. Um, Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Isn't that fun to know by the devil? That sometimes the Spirit will lead you somewhere like that. <clears throat> After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, that means he wasn't eating anything. Yeah, I bet he was hungry. I love how the Bible just shares the obvious right there. Like, he was hungry. The tempter, meaning the devil, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but here it is, but on every word that comes from God's mouth. So even Jesus there in that first temptation, I know I said I was going to read through it, but I'm too excited. So even Jesus, even Jesus shows us that this has to be a first response. We're not created just to live on bread alone, physical things. We are to live on every word that comes from God's mouth, inspired by God. God breathed his word, so important. Then the devil, he wasn't done, the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus says, man, you're tempting me. You're tempting me. Can you believe it? See, we read this, and we think that Jesus was just like, oh, man, this is just kind of a part of the story. This is a part of the thing that I have to go through is, you know, the, the enemy is going to come. devil's going to come. I'm going to be tempted, right? And he's got to say some things to me, then i got to say something back. This would have looked very appealing to Jesus. Because what Satan was doing here, he was saying, listen, I know that you came for all these people to die for them. To be beaten, you already know this, Jesus, that you're going to be hung up on a cross. Like, there's going to be nails in your hand. There's going to be nails in your feet. Your own mom is not going to recognize you because you're going to have so many lashes from a whip across you. You'll be unrecognizable. Oh, and the cherry on top is that you're going to die, and they're going to wrap you up. They're going to throw you in a tomb. The enemy knew that, and he was saying, you don't have to go through all that if you only come on my side. This would have looked good to Jesus. Jesus didn't want to be beaten. He didn't want to be mocked. But he willingly did that because of his love for us. It wasn't something, so this would have been tempting to Jesus. This was a possible entice. This wasn't something that Jesus just brushed off. Just like us in our humanness, he felt the pull to, te to temptation, the pull to sin, the pull to get out of God's will. But he says, oh no, I need to be strengthened. See, he was prepared before the temptation. He was prepared with God's word and he continues on. Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to test. Again, 
The devil picking on poor Jesus when he's hungry. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And thank God Jesus did this. Thank God that he knew God's word. And he used it as a lifeline in his temptation. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus knew God's voice. Jesus knew his lifeline was God's word. Jesus knew that if he resisted the devil, that he would flee from him. And it says, then the devil left him and the angels came to attend him. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. Jesus knew how to fight off temptation. My question is to you, you don't have to raise your hand, don't answer this out loud, but how do you fight temptation? Is it in your own strength? In your own understanding? Because God's word says that his ways are above our ways and his understanding is above our understanding. Are you trying to walk through temptation because you're afraid to ask for help from God? Whatever that may be, just understand and see your example that Jesus, our example, used scripture as a lifeline, used scripture as a lifeline to fight off temptation. That should be a lesson to all of us. And he didn't wait to understand scripture when he was being tempted. He didn't wait to understand God's word until he was hungry, broken down. He spent time preparing before that so he was ready when the enemy came. You guys following me on that? It's all about being prepared. So God's word, it can't be, it can't be, our last resort, it has to be our first response. And we can use God's word to fight off temptation in our life. We can start to see where we can grow in that. But I also want you to hear and I want you to see how God's word prospers us. It brings us forward. It's not just a book of rules, but it does something in us. It's a part of our growth And it says it right here, King David got it so right in Psalm 1 through 3. um, Or Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners that take, uh, or sit in the company of mockers, but who delights in the law of the Lord, and check this out, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. See, see David just had it right. He says, he says, God, and this is what happens is all these people in Scripture that you read about, all these people in Scripture that you read about, they, they had hard times and they came through them. They all understood this one principle, that, that this was a book This was something, God's word was not just a good idea. It wasn't just something that you pull off the shelf on a holiday to read through a cool story. It wasn't uh, something that you tell your kids at night maybe about Noah's Ark. 
but that this was a lifeline. And they understood that the key to their prospering was to keep God's worth close, so close that they meditate on it day and night. Joshua talks about that as well. Meditating on this day and night, thinking about it, having it so close to our hearts that as we're making decisions, it comes about, it boils up inside of us and we're like, wait, I remember what God's word says. Or that as we're walking into temptation, we were so prepared in God's word, we stand so strong in God's word that we have somewhere to go. We have, a, we have a lifeline. We have a way to fight that off just like Jesus did. And we can say, it is written. It is written. All of these people, David just had it right. He understood what would help him prosper in life. It was God's word. My goal, my prayer is not to beat you up and make you feel like, well, man, Josh, I just, I don't really like to read this. I understand that. I do. I'm not a big reader myself. But we can't afford not to read this. This is God's word. We have access to God, a holy God, when we open up these pages. That has to change us. We have to recognize that. And so I don't want to leave you hanging. I don't want to leave you uh, without something. And so when I'm at the back today, I'm going to be handing this out to everybody. But I thought, if we're going to do some kind of reading plan, right? And you don't have to do this. Maybe you already do something, and that's fine. But this is just something to help you kind of prime the engine, get moving forward, and start reading Scripture. I thought, what a better way than to spend time with Jesus and get and understand who Jesus is. And so this prayer plan is a 30 days with Jesus, or uh, reading plan, sorry, not prayer plan. This is a 30 days with Jesus reading plan. And every day it gives you scripture. So day one, if you start tomorrow, you read Isaiah 53. And that talks about Jesus being foretold. And then you, you know, move down to day 13, and you'll be reading in John 6, 1 through 14. So it's not even like that a lot, a lot of passages, but you'll be reading about him feeding the 5,000. And it's just these opportunities to get to know who Jesus is through Scripture. I want to challenge you guys to read that. What would happen if we turned into a bunch of Marys who instead of got all about this distraction of all these other things in life, but we just said, you know what? We want to be at the foot of Jesus. We want to be taught. We want to learn. We want to hear and we want to grow. What could happen to our individual lives, this local church and this city as that impacts? Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we love you. We recognize who you are. We believe in your word. We believe that it is the inspired word of God. We thank you for that. We thank you for giving us the gift of a Bible that we can see your character. We can recognize that we're, we can recognize who we're supposed to be. We can read about certain principles in there that help us along in life at certain times. We can, we can hear um, positive things that can build us up in troubled times. And sometimes we can just have an opportunity through your word to look in the mirror and see where we need to change in our own hearts and our own lives. Where there's real sin that's holding us back, that's, that's holding us down, that's bogging us down. And your word can show us how to be free of that. 
Lord, I pray for each person here that as they open up your word this week and beyond, that it will become real to them. That it will become something that's alive. That they'll start to hear from you in their hearts. That you'll speak to them through your word just like you promised to do. You say, seek first the kingdom. We want to be a seeking church, Lord. We're seeking after you. Your truth, how to become mature, how we can follow you closer, what you want this local church to look like. We want to be led by you. We thank you that you'll honor that. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week, 10 10 o'clock here. Bring somebody with you. Thanks again for listening to the Engage Church Duluth podcast. If you enjoy learning with us and want to be notified when a new episode drops, subscribe to this podcast in iTunes and help us get the word out by rating us there. And then share us on social media with all of your friends. And don't forget, you can find more resources on our website and even watch the video version of this message. We can't wait to connect with you again next week.